0: We're in Genesis chapter 2, and I'm I'm actually going to start again back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and go from there, because I want to talk about gender, roles of those genders, and then uh, talk about how that fits within the context of marriage. the other things that are included in this are sexuality. Uh, there is some same-sex attraction type stuff in here. There's gender confusion, all of those things. There's, there's people in this room that will be deeply offended this morning, and I just want you to know that I, that I love you and I care about you. you may we, we love you and we care about you. God loves you and cares about you. So our, our world is not in agreement with us, and, and I just, I just got to tell you, we just don't care. We don't because we care about the Word of God. We care about people, but we, but we honestly, we care more about God, God's love and God's Word than we do about whether our world loves what we do or loves what we say. And I want to tell you that this may be the most difficult thing that we do is speak truth. In, in, these, in these situations. And so just know this. I, I give this sermon today knowing that, that we will probably lose people that will never come back. But we're not in this so that we get butts in the seats. We're not doing this so that people will like us. We're doing this so that you hear the truth. And when you hear the truth and when we obey it, human flourishing, the best possible outcome of your life as a human comes to fruition. It it doesn't mean that it'll be without pain or suffering. Human flourishing happens even in the context of pain and suffering. That's what the Word of God helps us understand. So I'm just asking for a hearing from you that you that you would hear out the Word of God and that you wouldn't shut it out, but that you would consider it. And I'm also saying this, I would love to get an email from you. If you're angry, I would love to get that email. Don't just vote with your feet. Like, like put, put pen to paper or <laughs> fingers to keys and, uh, and, and write something and say, this is why I disagree. That's okay, Matt at outwardchurch.com. And, uh, and, and send me an email and just say, hey, th- this is, these are the things that I'm struggling with. I would love to have that conversation and I would love to love you. Let me also say this. There's people in here that struggle with same-sex attraction and that is not your fault. That is not your fault. There, I mean, there's many, there's many, many people, most people who grow up with same-sex attraction did not desire this, did not come to that, did not arrive at that conclusion on their own. They have unwanted uh, desires in their life and they don't know what to do with those. That in, in, in and of itself is not sin. The desire to be involved in, in, in a same-sex relationship is not sin. But the scriptures clearly tell us that we have lots of desires. That, that must be thwarted in relation to our, our, uh, our relationship with God, our love for God. Our desires are not our God. Our world would have you believe that, that you should follow your desires. What the scripture says is that you should follow Jesus. So what does that look like? And the, the biblical claim is this, is that when you follow Jesus over your desires, that human flourishing is possible for eternity. For eternity so uh, let's get into this this passage I, I'm gonna return again and kind of from here through the end of chapter 3 um, there will be a lot of we'll be going back and forth into into different scriptures and things like that because it all kind of is included in, in together and so we'll be we'll be all over the place a little bit my, my point is going to ultimately go to uh, chapter 2 verse 15 but let's start back in 1 again What is very clear from this is that there are only two genders. God created two genders. That is all. There is no midstream version of this. There are claims being made based on people who are born intersex, who are born with both male and female genitalia, Sorry that I had to say that word, Uh, but the claim is, is that, see, there is, there's a degree of sexuality, and these people just happen to be in the middle of that. The truth is, is this, is that that is not communicated in Scripture. Uh, When God created humanity, He created them with chromosomes, And for the male, there's an X and a Y. And for the female, there's an X and an X. And what people have found, people that believe the scriptures or who have a more conservative viewpoint, when they see people who have any type of a Y chromosome, because there can be other kinds of chromosomes. When someone has a Y chromosome, they are always uh, given towards maleness. They are a a male. And so there's been a lot of confusion here as as people have been born with both uh, genitalia and how the doctor has said, Well, since gender is a social construct, our culture and our world makes gender, then therefore you should just pick whatever gender you wanted and go with that. The problem with that is that when someone uh, says, I'd like this child to be a girl, and yet they have a Y chromosome, is that this creates massive issues later on in life. It It creates massive problems later on in life. The reason why I bring that up is that this is not an argument against the scriptures. One of the things that's happening today is that people who are seemingly wise will come out and say, yeah, but what about intersex, or what about this, or what about that, and their argument seems wise, and we, as Christian people, can be fooled into a lot of things. If someone just claims that they read the Bible or that they have read the Bible or that they love God or something and and they they come up with a a possibility, there are some of us who just say, well, they're within the Christian stream of things and, you know, it's probably fine. He thinks this, I think that, you know, that that kind of a deal. But that's not true. That is uh, to revise the Scripture. That is to revise Scripture and to say that something else happened there. In fact, Jesus also affirms the idea of two genders Matthew 19 verse 4 through 6 he says have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh so they're no longer two but one flesh what therefore god has joined together let not man separate what Jesus is communicating there is he's saying, he's saying that God, from the very beginning, there is male and there's female. A little bit further in that passage, he acknowledges the idea that people are born as eunuchs without genitalia or without the functioning genitalia or something along those lines. There is an affirmation that some people are born in this, are born in this way, and yet he still says there are only two genders. That's out of Matthew 19 if you wanna go back and look at it. In our world today, uh, right now, they are pushing this idea of multiple genders on us over and over and over again. And I gotta tell you that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that you need to stand up and be obnoxious, and it doesn't mean that you need to stick your finger in someone's face or disrespect someone who identifies themselves as a transgendered person. No, what's true about them is that they are, they have been created in one of these two genders. And the gender that God has created them is, the, is their gender. That is who they are. That is who God created them to be. And that they should be loved as an image bearer, regardless of whether they identify as any number of genders that our world and our state is putting out there today. This, this is insanity on a new level. This is absolute insanity on a new level. And when it comes to the creation story and how the world was created, secular people often point to science and say, "How dare you, uh, you stupid Christians, to believe by faith that the world was created uh, by God's hand? Because science clearly pr- proves that differently." And when it comes to gender, what we would say is, <laughs> we would say to them, "How dare you believe uh, that you can determine your gender by faith?" Because it's scientifically proven that you are either male or female. There is nothing in between. And they can him and they can haw and they can make excuses for those kinds of things. But I need to tell you, the scriptures are very clear. What should we think about that? We should think about it from the scriptures. There are only two genders. People are trying to tell us that, that gender is non-binary. Gender is binary. Both male and female are image bearers and these two genders are not interchangeable it cannot happen it does not work that way this is the way that God has created us and then he says this and God saw in verse 31 one, chapter 1 verse 31 and God saw that everything that he had made and behold it was very good and there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day Denny Burke says this he says what God calls good or very good, is binary sexual complementarity. God calls good binary sexual complementarity. This goes further into massive events that we have going on right now. The women's march, equal pay for women. Um, I mean, sexual violence against women. All of these things. Think about all of these issues. All of these issues are are encapsulated in this teaching here. It's it's all in there. There's nothing more offensive than believing the first few chapters of Genesis. So let's get into this here. In chapter 2, verse 15 of Genesis now, it says, the Lord God took the man and put them in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. That's where we left off. We said last week that work is a good gift from God, that paradise is a place that has work, and that work is meaningful, and it it gives us value. To put off work is to put off a good gift from God. To work too much is to make work your God, and not to make God your God. And so it becomes an idol in you. But he says he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And that also implies this that he puts the man in the garden and he gives him a role. He gives him a role of leadership in this context. We'll get to that, we'll get to more of that in a minute. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's foreshadowing for chapter three. God God tells him, but but what's also important about this is that God tells the man. He tells the man, he says, listen, I've put this tree here and I, and I don't want you to eat of it. Now people say, isn't that stupid. You could criticize God for putting the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden, but that still doesn't change that God did this. Like people try to criticize God for the things that he does, and yet it's just like, yeah, you could be upset with him if you want. You may not like it, but that's what God did. But one of the things that we see from this is that man is a moral agent capable of obedience or disobedience. The choice is clear. Will he obey or will he not obey? God commands the man. He gives the man the command. He's communicating to this guy, and he's saying, you must not eat of this tree. He is a moral agent. There is no other created being that is a moral agent. We are distinct in that way. We can teach our dog, or I don't think you can teach a cat. That's why I hate cats, but... uh, uh, to be honest, I don't like people that like cats. So, uh, I'm just kidding. But uh, You can train your dog that when he does this, he's going to get his nose rubbed in, in that. But that's not morality. Morality is decision-making. And say, I'm going I'm to go along with God, or I'm going to go my own way. This is important because humanity is unique in that realm. You can look at an ape and you can say, well, an ape can do this and do that and and, and learn these various things. But an ape is not a moral agent. Humanity is a moral agent. Verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Clearly, he's alone. God commanded him. He's alone. God is giving command to him. And the Lord God said, it is not good. This is weird because God just said, it is very good as he's looking at his creation. But now we see the one thing, the only thing that is not good is that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So what's happening here? Well, the man is going along. He's doing work. In fact, let's get into the next verse. We'll come back to that. Verse 19. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Adam has a job and it's naming the animals. He's naming the animals. He has a role. He has a responsibility. It is delegated dominion. He, the commentators and scholars call this. Uh, he is a vice-regent, God's vice-regent. Meaning he's, he is a ruler over this particular aspect of God's creation, of God's world, God's universe. God has delegated his responsibility to him over animals and, and such. And so he brings them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. It stuck. God said, hey, I'm giving you this responsibility. He hands it off. He's not a micromanager here. He, he gives it to Adam and he says, Adam, go ahead and do it. Adam does it. The man gave names to all the livestock, and to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. So Adam is in the midst of his work. He's working, he's working, he's working, he's, he's getting things done, yet God has pronounced this, he has acknowledged something, and he, and he said, I, he's kind of saying this, I want you to see, Adam, that it is not good that you are alone. You need to see That there's something about your life, there's something about your world that lacks a counterpart, that lacks uh, an other, an otherness. And so he says, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him, which is so crazy to me because it was like Adam was sitting there naming the animals and he's like looking at this animal and he's like, are you going to be my helper? Are you going to be my helper? And, it's, and it, it's just like he had to go through all of these animals until he got to the end. And it says, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. And so it's leaving this question open of what will this helper be? What will this helper look like? And What is, what is a helper? A helper is something or someone that comes to the aid of. That assists, that brings supplies, that br- brings refreshment. God is said to be this same word, helper. There's other times when people are in war and and somebody comes and that's that's a helper. That's that's the way that this word is used in Scripture. What it's saying is this, and it's showing us something, that there's really clear things that are going on here, that this man is, is ruling and, and he has dominion and he is uh, exercising authority. And then God says, it's not good. And I, within the context of who you are and what you're doing, you need help. You need a helper. And some of you guys really need to hear this. You really need help. You really need help. And you haven't seen that. You think that your spouse is there to just kind of be a pretty wallflower or something like that, but you don't see the need that you have. (coughs) And so it says this in verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. Keep in mind this, Adam was formed from the dust of the ground, and then Eve is formed from the man who was formed from dust of the ground. So Eve is formed from this guy. This guy, a rib is taken out, and God fashions, creates this woman, this this beautiful creature. And he says, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and brought her to the man, and Adam says this in verse 23, then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. In the Hebrew, it's a song or a poem, and it it rhymes. It goes like this. She shall be called Isha because she was taken out of Ish. I, Adam breaks into song and he, and he just starts rejoicing over this, over this woman. And then it goes on from here. Then, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Like, think about the beauty and the lack of shame. We could describe this in some ways and it, and it would come across as pornographic, Because God brings, God creates this woman. Can you imagine Adam's ecstasy? And what that that poem is describing, ecstasy that he has over his new wife, over this this woman. He's exclaiming like, wowza! Like, oh my goodness! Like, holy cow! God, this is amazing! Like, I I can't even imagine it. That, That... part just kind of shocked me a little bit, uh, this time as I I was reading it. What we need to see from this is a couple of different things, is that it's not good for man to be alone, and so God creates a helper fit for him. In our world today, what our world is telling us is that we have exact equality. That anything that you can do, I can do. Any position that you hold, I can hold. Uh, We can reverse our roles within the context of our marriage. I don't need a man or I don't need a woman. I need someone of the same sex. I need someone of a different sex who's changed into the same sex. Think about the confusion that's happening in our world right now. But what's happening in this scripture and in this passage, because uh, design equals intention. God's design equals intention, and therefore, human flourishing. It doesn't mean that because of the fall, because of sin, that we, that we don't have other desires. That there aren't other things that come into our minds, and things that are in our hearts. We're guaranteed that we will have sin. We've talked about this over and over again from 1 John if anyone claims he is without sin, uh, the truth is not in him and he's a liar. That's actually reversed. He's a liar and the truth is not in him. And so what we know is this, is that sin has uh, transformed every part of our being, every part of our desires. And so what happens is, uh, in us is that we desire what is not good and what is not right. And that doesn't just mean the person who uh, struggles with same-sex attraction through no fault of their own. But it also means the husband and the wife that are in their marriage together. In our world, we believe that these are two individuals that can come together and that they, they just come together. And I, and I look to this person to fulfill me and to make me happy, to fulfill my dreams as a, as a, as a young man or as, another, as a young woman what we often think about is what will that look like? What will that day be like? Women, I think more than men. Think about that wedding day, the, the dress that they will wear, and what will this knight in shining armor look like? But too often what we're looking at is we're looking at this individuality that's expressed in our culture, and we're saying how, what, what beauty or, or what, what kind of benefit will this person bring to me? And if that person doesn't bring benefit to me, then I will step outside of the marriage. I'll do whatever I want. Or what's really bad is this, is that people have even taken this teaching out of context, and they've said, you know, because Adam was the leader, and he was designed as leader and as the head of his home, therefore I will be the head, and I will be domineering in my relationship with my wife. And there's nothing further from the truth, and I would like to hurt you if that's who you are. Like, I, there's nothing more dis- disgusting than a man who takes advantage of a woman. Like, I, it's, it's infuriating for me, I can't even get into it because I, I want to deal so aggressively with that. But, I lo- but man, if that's you and that's what you've been doing, I got incredible love for you and it's just time to repent over, over that godless sin of you thinking that you should dominate and control your wife. It's never that. What you're doing is you're you're ripping a page out of every dictator that's ever lived. You're, you're you're taking a page out of out of their book, and you're thinking that you could live your life in this way. But then there's also another way that this goes wrong, and that is that there's no leadership at all. At the husband, instead of being a lead, he just he remains passive. We'll get into that more in chapter three but remains passive. And as a result, what happens is that the family is constantly looking to the husband and looking to the husband, looking to the husband and saying, dad or or husband, where are we going? What are we doing? What's happening? All these negative things are taking place in our life. We're destitute. We don't have income. We do all of these things. And what takes place is just a downward spiral in life because the, 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 the husband will not take a lead role. But then you've got this idea that's coming from our culture that says because uh, men and women are equal and they're interchangeable and we're going to confuse the genders and we're going to confuse the roles and things like that. Therefore, the woman, she can do whatever she wants in the context of this marriage. She's an individual. She can do exactly what her husband does or she can do that better. And I will... Be the first to admit there's a lot of things that my wife does better than me. But it goes to a certain extent that is against the scripture where the wife takes a lead role and is dominating and in some senses domineering. Women don't frequently uh, get violent, it can happen but they're dominating through the way that they condemn their husbands. They're dominating through the way that they're nitpicking and criticizing every little thing. And why are they doing that? Because they have made their relationship and their fulfillment their God. Their God, you know, (laughs) Yahweh is not their God. Their fulfillment as a wife is their God. And so they nitpick and they think, if I just keep telling him, if I just keep telling him, and they're beating him down and they're beating him down and they're beating him down, And you wonder why he won't step up. Well, he will never step up. And so I just criticize the fact that he won't step up. Well, guess what? It ain't going to happen that way. It's not. It doesn't happen in in that sense. A helper comes alongside of. We have been created to need each other. We have been created to desire each other, to look to each other for leadership in various things. The husband as provider, oftentimes, most, I would say most of the time it needs to be this way. I think there's some exceptions to that. But the husband as provider, it doesn't mean you need to make more money than, than your, your spouse or anything like that. What it means is that you're, you're doing something. You're engaging, you're providing for your home. You're protecting your home. You're engaging with your spouse You're lovingly uh, drawing her out. And the wife, who's a helper, is coming alongside of her husband, loving him, being open to him, serving him in some way. See, this is so offensive because our world thinks the exact opposite. And I have to tell you. That if you, if you want to figure out how life should work, do the exact opposite. I can give you a guideline for how to do that out of the scriptures. Our world is telling you something completely different. We are communicating another truth here, and that is that men are the leaders of their home, and women are the helpers in their home. But that is in no way to diminish a, a woman in the context of a home. That is in no way to diminish that. I cannot tell you how many times I have been frustrated in various situations where I've seen a guy who constantly makes stupid decisions. It's just foolishness. And I have pointed him to his spouse and said, why will you not listen to your wife? Why will you not discuss these things with her? Why will you not work these things out? Why will you not look to her? She is there to help you, to assist you, to be a part of your life. And God has clearly said, that it is not good that man should be alone, but man consistently over and over again kind of gives a stiff arm to his wife and says, I'll do this by myself. I'll make this happen on my own. And this is outside of God's created order. See, women are fighting for power today and I think there are a number of ways in which that should take place. Don't even hear me for a second saying that women shouldn't vote, that they shouldn't be paid for, uh, you know, the work that they do or, anyth- or that they should be abused or that they should just have to uh, give in to whatever their hu- husband wants or something like that. At no point are we ever communicating that. This is a different kind of leadership. This is a different kind of thing overall and i think it's going to take us a couple of different weeks to really unpack this in its fullness i want to invite my wife up right now because i uh, i think sometimes there can be (laughs) some of you are sitting here saying i wonder what his wife thinks about that (laughs) does she agree with this uh kind of a deal and so we we've been talking about this and we talk about it often um, in the context of of the church because we see a lot of difficulty. We see a lot of problems. And we can, we can kind of pinpoint, this is where this guy's going wrong with, with not fulfilling his God-given role, and this is where she's going wrong without fulfilling her God-given role. But uh, is your phone not working? Oh, you right?: I just deleted my note of what I was going to share, but I think I had it. Oh, Okay, sorry. You ready? Yeah, go. Okay. Yeah. No, what do, you think, what do you think about this? Yeah. What do you th- what, what do you think about what I've just been talking about yeah
1: Yeah, yeah, let's let's do it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So.
0: Yeah, it, it, it feels like when we first got married, like it was, it was kind of confusing, like how, how am I supposed to lead? And that would express itself in, and sometimes it would express itself in like a domineering type way that I might, I, I might come across, or, or I would just, I, I just didn't know, and so I'd, I'd be passive, and that, that's why I didn't want to talk about the finances. But one of the things I think that we've learned that we talk about a lot with, with couples is that men oftentimes are initiators and women are responders. Like men initiated in things and women respond to those things. It's not that my wife could not manage our home on her own. There are plenty of women in this room that have had to manage their home on their own. they are single moms that have done an amazing job and things like that. It's not that that can't happen by the grace of God. It's that this is th- this is the way that it was designed to happen. That men would initiate it in things, and that women respond to those kinds of things. So she is looking for me to initiate, and me not respond, and me not initiating uh, keeps her from kind of responding and things like that. Or it ends up respond you end up having a negative response, either in frustration with me. No, never. No, okay. Uh, <laughs> having a negative response in in those kinds of things. So yeah, what do you- what do you think about this idea? Of- of, of a helper, that idea of, of somebody who's, who's a responder who kind of comes alongside of me.
1: Well, I think, well, as you were saying, I, I think we could get hindrance to one another when we, uh, because I think by doing that it didn't allow me to operate in my full capacity. Yeah. So Yes,
0: a military, yes. Uh, with that, so, one yeah, how, how does that how does that express itself okay. in our marriage? Because I, I could I could talk about some things right there, but okay. you go. You go. Uh, <laughs> I'm not on Instagram, so I won't see it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So one of, one of the greatest things that I feel like Chris does for me is that she's an encourager. Like there's no facet of, of, of life here at the church and what I do on a regular basis or even, you know, as we've uh, remodeled our home and things like that that she's not involved with. She's involved in all of those things. And so um, I, I take this seriously that it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for me to function in life and in the role that God has called me to without my wife's input. We believe that as an elder team, that it's even though we don't have women on the elder team, there's no guy that sits on that elder team that does not have an incredible wife that is a helper uh, to him and that he is looking to her. We're not just putting men on there. We're putting uh, men who are one flesh with their spouse and so when they're, when they're speaking uh, in eldership or when I'm speaking as somebody uh, here at the church in, in leadership, I'm speaking on behalf of, of, yes, of the elders, but my wife has spoken into those things. She's spoken into the, the things that are in my life. And in addition to that, there's encouragement because there's many times when I feel discouraged. And yet my wife is an incredible encourager. So one of the things that she does best for me is that instead of criticizing me for not being a good leader, because there have been plenty of those times, guys. There's been plenty of those times. But that you can be encouraging in the opportunities that you do have to, be, uh, to, to see your husband doing something great, to be encouraging in that and to love him through that. What do you think about that? Yes. Pretty good. Pretty, Pretty good. Great. Yeah. <laughs> definitely does. I want to talk next time about like Ephesians 5 and, uh, read, and read that together. I really wanted to get into that today with both of us, but I think it'd be really good for us to talk about that whole idea of submission and headship. And I think that'll happen kind of next week. So thank you, babe. I appreciate it. Love you. Um, I want to wrap up this morning just with um, encouraging us today. I want to invite the, the band forward as, as, uh, as we're wrapping up here. Um, if they're even in here. Okay, there we go. Okay. I want to in- invite us this morning into real conversations in our relationships. To say, to ask your wife, honey, have I been leading? Have I been leading well? Do you feel like I need to step it up? What are some ways that I need to step it up? And for the wife to ask her husband, like, uh, have I been a helper to you? Am I I assisting you? Am I coming alongside of you? Am I encouraging you? Am I I there for you in in these ways? To ask each other these things, and then when when our, our spouse tells us something that is antithetical to what we believe about ourselves or is negative about us, that we would say this, that we would say, you know what? I need to sacrifice right now for my spouse because Jesus sacrificed himself for me. Like The, the biggest thing that I see in marriages and, and the, the downfall of marriages is this, is that you have one or both spouses that refuse to believe the gospel. They refuse to look at the gospel of Jesus Christ and apply that to their own life. Jesus, though he was sinless, gave up all of his rights, gave up all of, uh, all of his freedom, and was crucified on a cross in my place for my sins as a substitute for me. And what we do in our marriages is we replicate that on a regular basis. So I, wanna, I even want to talk to single people this morning. You may feel like, I'm not married, this doesn't really apply. No, if you go into marriage, because odds are you will be married. If you go into marriage thinking, I'm looking for this person to fulfill me, Rather than saying, I'm going into this marriage to sacrifice myself because this is God's program for me becoming the person that God has called me to be. Until you see that, until you see that the gospel should pervade every part of your marriage and that it speaks into every aspect of what's going on, you're gonna be missing it. You're missing human flourishing. I gotta tell you guys, like I, I love my wife. And I love our marriage so much. We have so much joy in our marriage. I'm not lying about that. I don't think that we always have joy. There are difficult times. But i got to tell you that for some of you that are in the midst of pain and things that are going on, there's more out there. There's more that God has for you. So I, I want to I invite us to bring the gospel to bear on our lives and even more so to uh, maybe make yourself known. What stinks is when people come up and they say, uh, she left me finally. And I was like, I didn't know that there was a problem to begin with. Or he left me. Or this is the disillusion of the marriage. Like you got you to gotta make yourself known. And so I just, I want to invite you to, you could fill out a connection card. You could send me an email, mattatoutwardchurch.com. You could, for some of you this morning, you're saying, I'm, I'm struggling with gender issues. Some of you are saying, I struggle with same-sex attraction. I would love to talk with you. I wanna, I wanna speak the gospel over you and tell you how much you're loved, regardless of what you've done, where you've been, how you struggle, the desires that you have, no matter what. I wanna encourage you in that. Some of you have been domineering husbands. You've been, you've been violent. You've been, with your words, you've been abusive. And I, I wanna love on you, brother. I want to care for you. Some of you wives have the same thing. We want to care for you. And so I just, I want to make myself available in that. So if you need prayer for, for any reason this morning, I just want to invite you uh, to just come back to this area back here by the communion tables, just right in between the THX boards and that right there. I just want to invite you uh, back there. I'm going to be back there. I'm going to ask some other elders and, and lead people to come back there with me. And we just want to pray for you And uh, so this morning as we go into uh, the Lord's table, I just want to invite you to confess your sins to the Lord.